Everybody, we welcome you into Boardwalk Hardwood Floors behind the bench here on a Wednesday night. Chris Kerber with you here. And, of course, the show every week brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Well, each week during this pause, we have taken the show to highlight a former blue, somebody maybe from the behind the bench side, somebody from a maybe a hockey strategy side. And this week, we are thrilled to be able to bring you an hour-long chat with former St. Louis Blue Red Berenson. And when you sit down to think about, okay, how do you profile Red Berenson? More importantly, how do you interview Red Berenson? You almost look at it in several different chapters. There's uh, prior to the NHL. There's the NHL as a player. There's the NHL as a coach. And then, of course, there's 33 years as head coach at the University of Michigan from a hockey standpoint. And what an amazing run it really was uh, for him at University of Michigan. But he's kind enough to join us here on the program tonight. Red, thank you so much for the time. Uh, How are you doing through the challenges of today? Well, I guess I'm doing like everybody else. I'm confined at home up here in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. But uh, it could be a lot worse, obviously. But we're doing fine. I I want to might as well just start with the, the most present. Uh, what was it like for you to come back to St. Louis and participate in that alumni game around the All Star festivities? Yeah, that was great. It was great to get back, and uh, and obviously it was great to see St. Louis host the. Uh, the all-star game right after winning the Stanley cup and uh, so many friends, so many people that we knew there that we ended up bumping into and so on. It was just a great time. And then the hockey was with, uh, with those guys at, at my age, it was just icing on the cake, I guess. Now it wasn't just going out and played. Uh, we'll, we'll get rid of the modesty here real quick. You scored a goal. Well, I got lucky. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You're old to get lucky. Uh, so, okay, what has it been like for you since retiring from uh, head coaching in terms of how you have stayed connected with the hockey world? You know, it's been really good because I uh, I still go on over the Michigan games and, uh, and I kind of represent our athletic director at the games when he can't go, but I'm, I'm always there. So I'm still watching the team, and uh, and I run into a lot of the scouts and and the other coaches and so on. So I still feel like I'm part of the game. And then the Red Wings have uh, have got me to play with their alumni, and so I'm playing with them every couple of weeks. We play a game, and I skate with the Michigan alumni uh, once a week. So it's been really good. I mean, it's been a perfect kind of retirement. I'm, I'm still on my own schedule, but. I still uh, have a lot of good social moments uh, playing hockey. Without having to worry about uh, coaching at the collegiate level, the recruiting and all the efforts that are necessary along those kind of lines, have you enjoyed the ability? Go ahead. I was really lucky, Chris. I I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I knew when it was time that uh, I should move over and let someone else do this, and I don't miss it a bit. And uh, (laughs) So I was lucky. It wasn't pulled out from under me or I wasn't forced out and I know a lot of people retire and they really miss work and I don't miss work 
Have you? But in, I was seventy-seven when I retired. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I think I think you earned a weekend off. Yeah, uh, right. Have you enjoyed the freedom in the schedule to be able to reconnect with some of the NHL, either uh, brothers that you played with, teams that you played with, people within the NHL game more now that you aren't quite as uh, don't have the demanding schedule from the collegiate standpoint. Yeah, I don't know if I'm physically connected to them as much. Uh, I go to the odd Red Wing game, and, uh, and I'll see a lot of people down there. And I, I have the NHL network, like a lot of hockey fans do, and I watch the game. So, you know, when St. Louis was on their run uh, two years ago, it seems like two years ago, um, I watched all the games. And uh, so I was I was lucky to be feel connected that way, even though I never really went to see it. St. Louis in person, although I was there in December. Remember, I was there yes, the when they played Pittsburgh, and it was December, the I'm going to guess, around the 15th, and uh, things weren't going well. And uh, and I dropped the puck at the game, and they, rep- they acknowledged the fact that I'd just been inducted into the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. So it was a good time to reconnect there, but things were not good. And then and a couple of weeks later, uh, they brought up Bennington, and they started to win, and uh, the rest is history. So it, uh, I did have a little bit of uh, uh, St. Louis uh, feel that year, and it wasn't good when I was there, and then it turned out to be unbelievable. What does the connection that you still have with the Blues and the fan base here mean to you? Well, it's just part of our uh, uh, an important part of our history. It was really the first time that uh, when we when we got traded to St. Louis, it was the first time I really got to play the way I thought I could play at that level. And even though I was in Montreal for a few years and and uh, played a limited role, and then I was in New York for a year and a half, and things weren't going well there. But when Scotty Bowman brought me to St. Louis, I knew this was it, and it just worked out as well as it could have. So that really got my career jump started, and uh, and the fans and the experience. It wasn't just about me; it was just the experience that our team had uh, with the fans, and uh, and then on the ice, it was terrific. So it was a, a really an important part of our history. And then, you know, being lucky enough to come back and play another four years there, and then coach there for. Uh, some years it uh, it was a big part of our family growing up in St. Louis yeah and and that connection remains it this franchise uh, just just over 50 years of age you know but it, this franchise really has connected and stayed connected with its origins hasn't it it's amazing and, and it's been a you know everyone that played there uh, loved it a lot of them were able to stay there and raised their families there and are still there. And look at Bob Plager. He's been there, I think, I think from day one. Yep. And, uh, boy, a lot of other guys wish they could have been too. Yeah, you know, one, one of the guys I bring up all the time, and, and I had the pleasure of getting to work with him when I first got here to the Blues in the early 2000s. But uh, one of my favorite people from that was such a big part of the Blues in the early days too was Jimmy Roberts. And, from from those early days, you you guys really had some not only great characters but just great people on those teams, didn't you? There's no question. And Jimmy and Jimmy and I and our families became lifelong friends. And we traveled in the summer together, and, and then we ended up in Buffalo together with uh, with Scotty when he was coaching there. 
And so we uh, we stayed in touch right to the end. And uh, we were sad to see Jimmy leave so early, but uh, it happened. And, and uh, but you know, there's a there's a whole group of us that were are still well connected. And I, I'm going to call Glenn Hall here this afternoon uh, after we're finished. But uh, Glenn's still doing fine out in Alberta and. And we all stay in touch. I stopped in to see Ab McDonald a couple of years ago. It was mm-hmm. a good thing because he got sick right after that, and he died quickly. But um, all the St. Louis guys had a connection. Yeah, they, they definitely did. We're talking with Red Berenson, of course, former St. Louis Blue, longtime and legendary head coach of University of Michigan here on Behind the Bench. It's presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. We come your way every single Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. and thrilled enough to be to be joined here by Red throughout a good portion of the show this evening. And Red, what was it like to play in the National Hockey League pre-expansion when there were only six teams? Well, it was obviously it was a it was an honor and, and a privilege and it was an accomplishment for uh, uh, a lot of us just to feel that we had made it to the NHL. But uh, it changed when the expansion came. It seemed like uh, uh, the players were more like hard laborers in the early original six, and then when expansion came, the, they treated us better. Of course, salaries went up. And there seemed to be, uh, uh, I don't know, just a better relationship with the ownership. And uh, and you just felt like you belonged rather than you felt lucky to be there uh, in the early days. And, and the Solomons were, you know, the first owners of the Blues. And, and they were a big reason why that happened. They treated the Blues so well. And, uh, and I can't say they spoiled us, but they just acknowledged us and they thanked us and they appreciated us. And, and, uh, and I think that's and that carried right through the rest of the league. And, and that's the way it is now. The players are, you know, are, uh, are, are really they're They're honored and privileged just like we were, but uh, uh, they know their place and they're treated really well. So it's a little different now. Obviously, there's a lot more money now than there was then. But uh, it was a thrill. It was a thrill for me. I remember my first game was playing for Montreal in Boston, and uh, and I couldn't believe it. And, you know, you would have played for nothing in those days. It wasn't about the money. But to play with great players like Bellavo and Jeffrey on and Jacques Plant and Dickie Moore and on and on, you know, it was it was really a – and then Henry Richard, and he just passed away recently. And uh, so I got to play with some great players. I was thrilled about that because – Let's face it, we were all hockey fans when we were growing up. And, and then to play in the NHL with some of the guys that, you know, we had uh, really looked up to and sent away for their autographs and so on, uh, it was a big thrill. Is it fair to say that when there were only six teams in the National Hockey League that it was truly the best of the best of the best? Because some of those yeah, American think, Hockey League teams was, had guys too. Yeah, I think it was, Chris. The one thing that hadn't happened yet, is, uh, for example, there were no Europeans in the NHL then. There were no Americans in the NHL, and there, there were no college players in the NHL. And, uh, and now you look at it, there's probably a third of the players that are playing in the NHL have gone to college, U.S. college. About a third of them have played in, are from Europe or somewhere not in America, not in North America. And uh, and there's nearly a third of them are American-born, and so there's a growth in 
all those areas that have really contributed to the skill level. Like there's more skill on, on each team now than there ever was in the old days. But uh, definitely the players that made it then were the best players available. Well, we're talking with Red Berenson here tonight on the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, how does somebody in the late 1950s from Regina, Saskatchewan, end up playing hockey at the University of Michigan? We'll ask Red when we return in a moment. On your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN. Welcome back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench. Show. Chris Kerber with you here. And again, thrilled to be joined this hour by former St. Louis Blue and University of Michigan head coach Red Berenson. Red, of course, played three seasons for the University of Michigan, but he's originally from Regina, Saskatchewan. So, Red, how did a kid from Regina, Saskatchewan end up playing at the University of Michigan? Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good question, Chris, because... Uh... Uh, college hockey wasn't that popular, but uh, uh, there were some players in our junior team that rather than try and turn pro, because the chances of making it in pro hockey were so slim in those days, that these guys were going to college in the U.S. to get their education. And uh, so I noted that as a young player, but uh, and then the junior coach, Murray Armstrong, he was a noted coach in Regina. He left Regina after being there a long, long time and took the, the Denver job as the head coach at University of Denver. So he started actively recruiting all the Regina boys that he knew and the kids that uh, he thought could play college hockey. And so I was one of them, but I never went to Denver, but I ended up going to Michigan. But he sold me on the idea. And, he, and Murray Armstrong was like a lot of guys he had played in the nhl for a few years and uh and then after that he was kind of on his own and he, he turned out he was selling hats and, and when hats were popular stetsons and uh <laughs> and then he was a, a junior coach on the side and he convinced us that there's life after hockey and you better do a better job of preparing for it than he did so he was a good example of a, a guy who influenced a lot of players to go to college and so that's why I went, and, and I really believed in it. And uh, it was kind of at odds with the trend of the top prospects weren't going to college. But uh, uh, now it's not unusual for you know a top player to come out of college and even be a, a number one or number two draft pick. But, but I've got to think it was just as unusual then to go straight from college to even playing some games for the Montreal Canadiens. That, that is... That's some uncharted water, isn't it? Yeah, that was the first time anybody had ever come out of straight out of college and played in the NHL. And so I was, again, I was a bit of a pioneer. There was one player in Regina that had played uh, that year in the NHL, and his name was Red Hay. He played for Chicago. And he was owned by Montreal, but they didn't have room for him, and they traded him to he ended up being rookie of the year, but he had played a year in the minors before he got to the NHL. And so I was lucky they brought me right up from uh, Michigan. And and, uh, and I, I was graduating that year, so it was perfect. I didn't leave school early. Uh, I did it the right way, and uh, I'll never regret it. So, so wouldn't you know, years later, I ended up back coaching college and, and doing a little bit what Barry Armstrong did and, and what my coach in in Michigan did, Al Renfrew, and uh, tried to help kids 
prepare for life after hockey, but hope they have a good hockey career just the same. And now the NHL is full of all kinds of college players, and we've had a lot of them from Michigan as well. Yeah, and we're, we're going to talk about a couple of them from the St. Louis area here in just a, a little bit here as we're talking with Red Berenson on Behind the Bench. It's brought to you every single week by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Thrilled to have Red joining us on the program this week. And well, we, we've talked about some of the early days as Red broke into the National Hockey League in 1961, the 61-62 season. Didn't play, obviously, for the St. Louis Blues until the 67-68 season, the first season of the St. Louis Blues. And last week on the program, we profiled Barkley Plager. Well, Red comes to the St. Louis Blues with Barkley Plager in a deal that Scotty Bowman wanted to make happen. What do you remember, Red, about that deal or that moment? <laughs> well, I remember I was really glad to get out of New York. But uh, ironically, uh, with the Rangers, and I was playing a limited role uh with the Rangers, Emil Francis was the coach and manager, and we played St. Louis. Uh, the night before this deal came down, and uh, and then we had a day off after the St. Louis game, and so and I played that game and I played a lot. In fact, I played more than I ever played in New York, and uh, and the next day I went deer hunting with uh, I think it was uh, Rick uh, Rick Sealing. And anyway, we were talking on the way up deer hunting up in the Catskills, and and I mentioned to him, "Geez, I was really, it really felt good tonight. It was great to play, and get to, I was surprised I played all that." And so then we got a message the next day, and there were no cell phones, but somehow they got a message to me when we were hunting that uh, Emil Francis was trying to get a hold of me, and he wanted to talk to me before I as soon as I could get back. And so he was in a rush. So anyway, we drove back and we started talking in the car and the car back and said, I wonder what he wants. Well, you know, it was interesting. I played more than I usually play. And Scotty Bowman was behind the bench and, and I played for him in uh, the Montreal system. And Frank Mario is uh, their personnel director and I played junior for Frank. And uh, Doug Harvey's with the organization, and I played with Doug in Quebec. And there just seemed to be a lot of connections. I said, I wonder if they traded me to St. Louis. I wonder if St. Louis got me in the trade. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened. And then, and of course, Barclay was playing in Buffalo, uh, New York. And that was our farm team in the American League. And uh, and I found out Barclay was, was in the trade. And we were traded for two of the veteran players, Atwell and Stewart. And uh, and I think uh, Stewart was leading the team in scoring, Ron yes, he Stewart. Was. And, uh, and Ron Atwell was a, a veteran minor league player, but he was a good player. And we got traded for them. And so, you know, and, and people said, geez, they traded their leading scorer for these two guys. Uh, and so there was a lot, there were some questions about it. But, uh, you know, once Barkley hit the ice and, and uh, put his stamp of spirit and energy and and enthusiasm on the team. And then I got a chance to play. And the two of us, we knew we had something to prove. And and we really played hard. and We played well. And the team was starting to come together. And I think the timing was good. And, and maybe we were, uh, uh, it was the right place at the right time for both of us. And, and we loved it. So it was, it was a good deal. But, you know, it didn't happen overnight, and 
and when we we were nearly at the Christmas break, and I looked at the scoring on the team, and Stewart was still the leading scorer, and we'd been there for <laughs> about three or four weeks already. But uh, finally, we we surpassed him, and we moved on, and we, we our team started to score some goals. But uh, yeah, I remember that, and obviously Stewart was uh, an infamous. Uh, person or victim in uh, when Terry Sawchuk died in New York. That uh, it was either that year or the next year. Terry Sawchuk and Stewart were roommates, and and they ended up having a tussle, and uh, Sawchuk ended up dying in a kind of an outdoor barbecue accident. But uh, mm. it was pretty sad. But Stewart was uh, the aggressor, so it was. You know, it's, it's a, your your whole life is like a chain reaction. There's one thing leads to another. You know, what was it in how Scotty Bowman either used you or did that allowed your game to blossom and really explode the way it did once you became a blue versus the time that you had spent in both Montreal and then those couple of years in New York? You know, I think the thing that uh, Scotty had, obviously he was a, he was a player himself. And uh, in fact, I just I just read his book this uh, this season, uh, the book that Ken Dryden wrote about right. Scotty. Yes, sir. Yep. And uh, really a good read. But he was a player, and then uh, when he had his head injury and he couldn't play anymore, he was he became a scout. And when I got there, he was a young, kind of a young assistant coach in their on their farm team in Montreal. So I was playing in Montreal, but not playing much. So they sent me down for for either conditioning or to to uh, to get better for development. And uh, Scotty was one of the coaches. He and Sam Pollock. And I think Scotty saw me play the way I could play, and he remembered that. So that when he got the job in St. Louis, and he was looking for players to bring in. Uh, and in New York, a draft protected me in the draft. That was that really bothered me. I was hoping to get picked up by somebody, and uh, but St. Louis wasn't at the top of my list. In fact, I was hoping I would go to Minnesota. I thought that would be a great hockey venue and so on. But nevertheless, St. Louis turned out to be as good or better than Minnesota. And uh, but we ended up in St. Louis, both Mark and I, and. Uh, and I think Scotty Scotty coached Barkley in junior hockey in Kirkland Lake or in Peterborough, and he knew what kind of player Barkley was. And he didn't know me as well until he coached me a little bit in Hull, Ottawa. So I think he knew us. And that's the one thing people don't understand as much about coaches is if they really appreciate the good things in certain players and that player gets to really become the player he can be, Often it's because of the coach. The coach can see that in him, and he'll get it out of him. And, and that's what Scotty did with, with both Barkley and myself. Was it equally surprising or disappointing when you found out that they were trading you to Detroit? It broke my heart. I mean, it really did. I was so ingrained in St. Louis, and uh, uh, it just it was one of those things that uh, it was Probably a good lead for St. Louis. They got a younger player, a great player, and Gary Younger. But uh, for us to leave St. Louis, it was the first. It was really like our our hockey home. Finally, we got a chance to perform and feel like we belonged. We we, we, could, we connected with the fans and the city, 
and the players and the team was just like a big family. And, and, uh, you know, Al Arbor just took over as coach, I believe, uh, that year. And, and we're all excited for him. And then, uh, this trade happened. So it was a tough time for me. Were you equally as thrilled to be traded back? Yeah. Well, not equally. I wasn't as excited about that. Well, I was I, glad to come back, but uh, I was devastated to leave. And uh, But I was glad to come back, and I knew I wouldn't be the same player or have the same role, and we didn't have the same close-knit team that we had. But uh, it was, it was, I was happy. I was happy to come back and, and finish out my career in St. Louis. It was uh, one of the, yeah, what I meant was uh, I meant equally happy to be back by that, not thrilled that, that you had left. And really amazing when you think of, like you said, the leading at the time you left, uh, you came here for, for Stewart, who was leading the team. You and you were traded to Detroit. That's the deal that brought Gary Younger, who was an immensely popular and talented player. And then the, even when you were traded to St. Louis again from Detroit, well, that was for Phil Roberto, who had, um, you know, who had earned quite a good uh, standing here in St. Louis as a rough-and-tumble hockey player. So I guess at that point in time when you were only talking about 12 teams in the league, pretty much every single trade seemed to deal with some pretty good names, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, it did. And, you know, those players that uh, you're talking about were all, you know, trying to prove themselves as uh, real NHL players because a lot of us hadn't really – uh, got that chance, and you know Gary Saber and Frank Saint Marseille, all the players in St. Louis, Ron Shock. I mean, you, you could go down the list of players that were 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 kind of fringe NHL players, supposedly until they got their final chance, the real chance to play in the expansion. And, uh, and I put myself right there. And, and Jimmy Roberts even was uh, in that area too. We played together in Hull, Ottawa when I was sent down. He was playing there. So the one thing, I always felt good I'd gone to school so I could retire early on my own terms if I wanted to as a player. But my career jump, got jump-started in St. Louis, and then uh, it, it was I felt like I would play it out. And, uh, so I played till I was, I think I was 38, nearly 39 when uh, I retired in St. Louis. But then I made a, a whole new bunch of hockey friends. And from that, then, and... Uh, and one of them was uh, Floyd Thompson. And Floyd and I are still friends. So I go up and visit him every year up in northern Ontario where he lives with uh, his just departed wife, Sally. Brad, with the St. Louis Blues having won the Stanley Cup this past season, the there's a whole bunch of new fans, as, as you would hope. And then there's still obviously plenty of fans that have been a a fan rather since uh, the day they could start remembering the sports scene in St. Louis or from the day that the Blues got here, whatever it may be. If if a younger fan opened up the record books and sees that the St. Louis Blues went to the Stanley Cup final in each of those first three years of its existence, once against the Bruins, twice against the Montreal Canadiens, but then they look at it and they see that they got swept in all three of those situations – the, the record may not tell the complete story of those finals. What, what, what would you say or, or tell some of the younger fans about, about those three trips to the Stanley Cup final? Well, I would say they were, uh, uh, they were competitive. They were hard fought. Uh, our, our team had uh, battled through the expansion division. Remember, they had the expansion division and the original sixth division. 
and uh, and we had some tough series with Philadelphia and L.A. and Minnesota and uh, Pittsburgh another year and so on to get there to get to the finals, and uh, and then when we got there, we were playing a team that, you know, let's face it, they were better than we were. They were uh, more experienced uh, when they when they chose the selection uh, system, the draft system for the expansion. It wasn't very uh, generous for the expansion teams. And so they they kept all the best players, and then they 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 let some of their older players go. So we were a team with uh, good players, a good honest uh, NHL team, but not as good. We had really good goalkeeping between Glenn Hall and Jock Pont. Uh, we were as good as the other team, and we might not have been as good on on the offensive side the, with the star players, whether it was. We couldn't match uh, Esposito and Orr in Boston or, or Bellevue and Henry Richard in Montreal. But, uh, boy, our guys battled. And, and most of the games were one-goal games, and, and several of them were overtime games. So we had a chance. We were right there. We didn't really – I don't think our team believed in our hearts that we were better than those teams that we could really beat them and we needed a, we needed a win early in the series to upset them and we couldn't get that win and but uh, boy our guys played hard and they were all you know you look back I mean we had a kid named Larry Keenan and, and he was a, a, a good like a good everyday hockey player but in the playoffs he just he just was able to raise his game, the level of his game, and and uh, and really made, was a different player. And, and we we needed more of that. And we had all, you know, were given everything we had, but we just weren't as good as as those teams. And they had the star power, and and we probably didn't. We our star was in goal, and the rest of us were journeyman players trying to upset the better teams. But exciting. The fans were terrific. Our home games and the environment in St. Louis was as good as it gets. We just never, never got it done. How did you guys keep the characters of like a Bobby Plager or a Gary Sabrin in check? Well, we had, <laughs> we had a lot of characters on our team. Noel and, Picard. Uh, and Noel Picard and, and John G. Talbot and so on. And uh, it was it was great. I mean, our, our players were, uh, I, I think Scotty set the tone pretty good. And these guys knew that, you know, they better throw the line or they weren't going to be here. And so it was all about the team and, uh, we had fun, but we had fun at the right time and, uh, in good taste. Well, we're talking with Red Berenson here on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. We'll take a break, and when we come back, still more to come. Red, kind enough to stay with us. We're going to talk about a coaching career. Not only that, but 33 years as head coach at the University of Michigan. How in the world did that happen? We're going to find out in a moment on 101 ESPN. And again, thanks for tuning in tonight. We welcome you back to our Behind the Bench show brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Remember, the home show sale is going on now at Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Update your home with savings on all types of flooring, including solid, reclaimed, wide plank, and more. 
Visit one of the showrooms in Crestwood, Manchester, St. Peter's, or online at BoardWalkHardwood.com. Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. And they are open for business now as well. We come your way every Wednesday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Red Berenson, kind enough to give us some time tonight and, and really for the whole hour, talk hockey with us. And Red, after the playing career was done that spanned just over 900 games, well, 987, just under 1,000 games, you went into coaching, and it started as an assistant coach for the St. Louis Blues, eventually head coach, then an assistant with Buffalo, and then on to the University of Michigan. What got you into coaching? Well, it wasn't on my uh, agenda to be a coach, and uh, I'd always just been a player. And and uh, But when the time came to retire, uh, Barkley Flager had become the head coach, and uh and he'd taken over from, I think, Leo Boyvin. And so Barkley was the head coach, and I was uh, I was playing for Bart. Emil Francis was the GM, and Emil wanted me to retire. And Bart wanted me to stay and be his assistant. Like, we were really good teammates, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we connected well off the ice as well as on the ice. And, uh, and so Bart thought I could help him because I knew the players, and I'd been playing and so on. And so, and I think it helped one night we were playing in Detroit and, uh, and they were really pushing us around and, uh, and I grabbed Bark between periods. I was still playing. and I, I may have been the captain. And I grabbed Bark and I said, Bark, play our line against such and such a line and put uh, uh, Kurt Bennett's line against Dan Maloney's line. Maloney was the big tough guy for Detroit. And, uh, and, he says, why? I said, well, just try it and see. Well, as soon as he did that, though, the game changed and we won the game. And so he kind of gave me a fist bump after the game and said, yeah, good move. And so we, anyway, we connected. And uh, so then when I retired, he wanted me to stay. So I was, uh, I, and I agreed to stay because I wanted to keep our family there. Our girls were in high school. All our kids were, in, we had four kids and the boys were in school. And we loved St. Louis, and uh, so we we stayed. And it just one thing led to another, and then Barkley got sick, and uh, and I had to take over, and uh, and it worked. And so we had some success, and and uh, and then Bark got better, and he came back, and he was my assistant coach, <laughs> and it was kind of strange, and it, and it worked just as well that way as it did the other way. And so we had this great relationship, and uh, and then when things went. South a, a little bit, and Emil, Fran- Emil Francis felt the pressure to make a move, and uh, he did. So I got fired, and and Emil took over the team, and uh, so there's a lot of pressure on that, as you remember. Sure. And then the next year, I think uh, they got new ownership, and, and Ralston Purina was out, and they were good owners. Ralston Purina, not like the Solomons, but uh, Ralston Purina really handled the team well, and then. Uh, when the new ownership came in, everything changed. So by then I was in Buffalo as an assistant coach uh, with Jimmy Roberts and, of course, working for Scotty Bowman. So it was like a chain reaction. <laughs> before you knew it, I was in I was in Michigan. Well, before we talk about Michigan real quick, what do you remember about a young Bernie Federico and Brian Sutter? Well, they were, you know, I remember they were drafted and we heard about them and then we saw them at training camp and, uh, and, and we could, 
you know, myself, I mean, I could really appreciate, uh, I watched both, both of them. They were both from Western Canada, ironically. And, uh, and Sutter was just a, a, a throwback from Barclay Plager. And, uh, Federico was more my style, but, uh, he, he was a terrific skater and really good with the puck. And they were young guys that just needed to grow up and mature at, at this level, and they did. And uh, and and boy, look at them! I mean, they were uh, both star players, and Sutter was a long-time captain and a great leader, like like uh, uh, Bark was. And uh, Federico was a great scorer and a great playmaker. And he and Sutter were line mates for a long time. And uh, but I remember them, and I knew they'd be good. And I knew eventually Federico would be taking my job, and we were roommates, and I tried to help him every every bit I could. But he, uh, boy, he brought a lot to the table. We're talking with Red Berenson, former St. Louis Blue, 33 years as head coach at University of Michigan. His first season was the 1984-85 season at the University of Michigan, a job he wouldn't relinquish uh, until after he retired after the 16-17 season. So uh, if, if anybody in that 33-year time frame said, boy, it'd be my dream to be the head coach at University of Michigan, man, did they have to wait quite a while. Red, what happened from being an assistant in Buffalo that gave you the opportunity then and the steps that were taken to where you were able to go back to the university that you played at and become the head coach at University of Michigan? Well, another good question, Chris. Uh, you know, I, I played in Michigan, obviously, and graduated from the business school there in 1962. And uh, so this was in 1984 when I went back. But uh, I got to Buffalo in 82. And, uh, and Michigan was, you know, I, I'd check every so often. They were falling on hard times. And their hockey program was uh, way down and and I wasn't, it wasn't in my plans to go back to coach college. I thought I would stay in the NHL, but they kept after me. And, uh, and this was the third time they came after me was in the summer of 80, the spring of 83. And, uh, and actually I brought my son Gordy over to Michigan to, uh, to have a look at the school. Cause he was graduating. He was a senior in high school and he, he thought he would, would like to see Michigan. He'd heard me talk about it and so on. Well, anyway, he and I drove over there, and uh, and they gave him a tour, and I went and visited the, my old coach and the athletic director and so on. While I was there, they they offered me the job. They really needed help, and uh, and they thought I was the one that could come back and kind of uh, reinstigate the the way Michigan should have been and it still led the country in most national championships but at the time they were struggling and so you know i was i can honestly say i was a little bit bored in buffalo as being an assistant coach and uh, i had great memories of my experience at michigan and i thought you know now i'd been fired and uh the future was uncertain and so now i've been fired in st louis but i was i had a few contract in buffalo Scotty and Jimmy and I got along great, but uh, I asked Scotty, and Scotty said, "You know, I would take that. I think it's a great uh, way to coach, and it's uh, and it's and, and look what it did for you, and look what it's it, you can do for all these other players." And 
And that's exactly what happened. And so I decided to do that. So my son Gordy, on the way home, he said, geez, Dad, I'd really like to go to Michigan. And I said, well, good. What, do you, <laughs> what would you think if I went with you? And that's, that's the way it turned out. What is it about coaching that level of player that you fell in love with so much that would lead to a thirty year, a 33-year career as a head coach there? Well, and, you know, I started off with a one-year contract, and that's all I needed. And, uh, and so we, you know, as you get going, you're recruiting these players. And so you're not just coaching them. You recruit them, you select them, you sign them, and then you help them develop and help them live the dream. And uh, But I always felt good about the education part, to have something to fall back on uh, when hockey's over, because you might be – 25 when it's over or you might be 35 but nevertheless you've got a long way to go after that and uh, what murray armstrong had told me you, know, you don't want to be a hockey bum uh when you leave hockey and, and so on and there, and there was a lot of that in the old original six where players didn't have any money and they didn't have any plans or any future and uh and that was a difficult thing so i always felt good about the education part so i really felt good about what i was doing in michigan we were out there scouting players and and i would run into all the pro guys too and they were scouting the same players so we ended up you know having some really good players at michigan and high draft picks and so on and players that went on to play in the nhl but but the other guys i'm just as proud of are the guys that ended up you know we've got two or three neurosurgeons and and, and lawyers and teachers and uh, terrific people. Uh, Bobby Gassoff from St. Louis, uh, the son of Bob Gassoff, was one of the graduates from Michigan that I'm most proud of and as a person and uh, as a player and a student and, and for what he did when he left Michigan and so on. Uh, we had Travis Turnbull, Perry Turnbull's son at Michigan, and we recruited Blake Dunlop's son, uh, Connor and Connor ended up going to Notre Dame, but uh, he did a good job. And I met him in St. Louis this year during All Star break, and he's doing great in his business. So it's a good element. I really like the college. Uh, I like the results of the college experience for these kids. And uh, when I think about it, when I, my last year coaching in St. Louis, we had quite a few college kids at that point. You know, we had Joe Micheletti and Jack Brownstadel. And uh, there's a couple more. I, I should remember the one that played for Minnesota on that uh, miracle team and uh, and so on. But I could appreciate the college players as well as uh, as the so, so-called higher-profile players. And you had uh, Blues, uh, current Blues assistant coach Mike Van Ryn played for you there too, correct? Oh, yeah. Mike yep. was a terrific player at Michigan. And uh he won a national championship there. Mike was terrific. So I got to see him. Yeah, that's right. I got to see him. And then I talked to him after they'd won it all, and I called him. And, uh, so we we still stay in touch. Yost Arena, I try to tell people. So I when I went to Miami of Ohio, I was at Miami of Ohio from 90 to 94, and that's when I started calling hockey games. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I've told – I, and and that was when George Gwazdecki was re, had really started to turn that Miami program in, into a, a a really really good competitive one. Um, as a matter of fact, Red, the first hockey game I ever broadcasted, I, I I'm probably going to test you a little bit here, if it, but but this was a heck of a series. The very first game hockey games I ever called 
was at Goggin Ice Arena. You guys, Michigan, came in, and you were ranked like either one or two, top five in the country, and Miami was ranked 15th, somewhere right around there. Miami, now the lines out Goggin Ice Arena went kind of up the hill, this old Goggin Ice Arena, it's not there anymore, and then all the way uptown. It was it was like a, almost a mile long to get 3,000 fans into the building. Miami beat Michigan on the first night on a controversial overtime goal and then tied the second night. And Stephen Halco uh, would eventually, a defenseman for you, that, that would eventually play in one of the minor league teams I was working for. I love the fact that any Michigan player that I ever talked to that remembered that series that weekend, and it would have been, oh, I think it would have been the 91-92 season, uh, will still say, that goal, that puck never went in. And I love the passion of it. <laughs> there were some great games between those two schools. Yeah, there really were. And in Gargan Ace Arena was uh, that when it was that when it, when their team got going and their fans got going, it was a tough place to play for an opposing team, just like our rink at, at Ann Arbor at Yost was. But uh, they did a good job down there, and they Rico Blasi was there for a long time after George. Right. And he did a great job, and oh, we had some good, uh, really good battles. Ironically, you mentioned Stephen Halko. He ended up, he would have been probably a freshman. It was probably 91 because he graduated in 96. Yep, so what is this He was the captain of our uh, 96 national championship team. And he just called me a couple of weeks ago. And he says, uh, Coach, it's number 24, and it's number 24. And it was 24 years ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, we had won the national championship. He calls me on that date every year. And uh, and his number was 24. So Stephen is uh, he lives in in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, yeah. uh, is a real good person. Obviously, he's a great player at Michigan. So it's yeah. When that's the one thing about uh, coaching college that it was good for me as I connected with a lot of players and helped them and and uh, and now kind of enjoyed watching them play and, uh, and then there's some that come back to school that left early and 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 some never do but most of them graduated yeah my my very first year calling games uh for the um Springfield Falcons he was a defenseman for us uh, that year and that's uh and we we would talk about that one series that puck never went in I'm like man I think it went in I'm claiming yeah, it went that's in. before they that's before they had uh, the, all the cameras and the replays oh ab- absolutely well it's been a thrill to be joined here by Red Berenson uh, Red uh, re- recruiting wise uh, boy I'll tell you what uh, they're recruiting hotbeds all over the country now when it comes to hockey so so much more than when you started as a college coach aren't there there's no question. I mean, that's where the American-born players come in. You know, we, we used to think that we had to have all Canadians to play, in, uh, even in college. And uh, But you look at all the players that are coming out of the U.S. Now, a lot of those players are because of expansion uh, into, the, into the deep part of the U.S. or non-traditional part. But uh, you look at all the players that have come out of St. Louis. I mean, they either went to college or went straight to the NHL after playing junior. And they're still coming out of there. And uh, we've had players from California and players from Florida and players from Arizona and Texas and good players. And so it's been uh, – this game has grown, Chris, since uh, uh, back in the day when St. Louis first got their franchise. Uh, there wasn't a real hockey hotbed outside of Minnesota in the U.S. 
but now you can go you can go anywhere and there's some some good players coming out there so I've said, and we've been really lucky to be a part of it this long. I've said for a long time, I would love to see St. Louis University or one of the local colleges go Division One again and, and bring that game back to the city of St. Louis. I think it would be terrific for the area. It, it would be great, and uh, and and they would be, and there'd be several college leagues that would be after them to join their league. And I, I know at the time they had to play in the big old arena, and it was probably too expensive or too big to uh, make sense for a college team. But if they had their own rink, uh, St. Louis could pull it off. I know there's talk about expansion in the Big Ten. I hope it happens. But uh, some of those schools that have got really good club teams, and I'll bet, I'll bet St. Louis has a club team. Oh, yeah, they do. But uh, but uh, they, they just need access to a, a good local rink, and uh, especially near campus or on campus. And they could make it work, and it's and it's not just when you expand now to hockey in college. It's men's and women's. You know, you'd have the opportunity for the women to play too. Would would and be you, huge. You've seen how far they've come. Oh yeah. All right. Final question. The last one. I say the best for last. Uh, Red Berenson, kind enough to join us now. His first name is is Gordon, folks. So Red, do you remember the first time somebody called you Red? <laughs> I think I was about twelve. <laughs> And I didn't like it, but our whole family were redheads. They called my dad was called Red, and my mom was uh, uh, Marjorie, but she was a redhead, and both my younger sisters were redheads. So I shouldn't I have been surprised, but I was. But then after that, it stuck, and it's been a long time. So we've been, uh, and that every so often, my sister will call and she'll say, "Gord, how are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> There's only a few people left that uh, even know my name. They call you that. Well, you're known here in St. Louis as uh, the Great Redhead. There was an old barbershop in Kirkwood named uh, called Varsity Barbershop. Uh, I used to go there as a kid, and then actually when I got back to St. Louis and then before I lost the hair and didn't need a barber. But Pete ran it. Gary was one of the other barbers, and they had a helmet of yours up on the shelf. And it was one of Gary's biggest moments of pride. Every time he'd come in there, he'd start telling you a Red Berenson story, and he'd point up to the helmet and say, that was Red Berenson's helmet, and uh, and he would tell the story. You're, it's it's terrific to spend some time with you. Thank you so much for giving me some extra time today. I appreciate you a ton, and thanks for sharing the stories and uh, continuing to keep uh, the, the Blues tradition alive here in St. Louis, Red. We appreciate you a lot. Well, Chris, that was great. I enjoyed That wasn't an interview. That was a conversation. That was a great a great visit with you and, and some great memories uh, that you brought back in this conversation. So thanks for the the meeting and, uh, and we'll look forward to getting back to St. Louis again. And we hope to get the season going here soon. Let's keep our fingers crossed on all that fronts. And we look forward to seeing you back here in town soon, Red. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. okay. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Red Berenson joining us here on behind the bench brought to you by boardwalk hardwood floors and, what an amazing conversation with him, kind enough to give us pretty much the entire hour, and glad we're able to bring it to you. Whew. 80 years old, still going out and skating with the alumni groups. You got to love it. The great redhead, Red Berenson, will bring you more on next week's edition of Behind the Bench, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey 101 ESPN.